Well, good morning, everyone. To be with you. So glad that you guys ventured out through the uh, piles of snow. Oh my gosh, took forever to get out of my driveway. But Claire worked at it and she got it done. Here I am. That's right. Uh, a couple of reiterations on those announcements. There, I have been praying, one of the things that is a weakness of mine uh, in character is generosity. And I've been praying about that for a long time. And then this summer I met Troy uh, while he was here with his family. And he said, hey, I want to get together with you and talk to you about generosity. And I was like, yes. You know, God had really answered that prayer. And then I went to the uh, generous giving seminar thing. It's a Friday night and a Saturday morning. And uh, with about, what, six other couples or something. And it was great. And, and of course, if you know, it's at the reserve. So it's going to be super nice to sit there by the fireplace and look out and just, um, it's just a really well done thing. So if you can, I would, it's free. I would encourage you to take part in it. It doesn't matter if you have tons of money or no money. It's just good. It's good for your heart. So, uh, that, and then, uh, the mission trip. I'm so thankful for you guys, uh, you know, putting that forward. Hearts are changed on mission trips. And they take us to a different level spiritually. And if you've been on one, you know what I'm talking about. I like to think of short terms as something where you go to grow. You may feed some people, you may encourage, you may bring the gospel, you may help. But when you, what you bring back and how you inspire other people, just like you guys went and now you want to bring others. It's just something you just cannot help but do. So it, uh, I would really encourage you to consider it. We have money to help with scholarships. So if you would like to be a part of it, don't let, never, ever let money be a part of preventing you from going on a mission. So... Just remember that. Okay, uh, let's see. I, we're in our series on uh, core values. Two more to go. This one is about service. But before we talk about it, uh, I need to share with you this, this story that, that happened to me. Uh, every year in February or, or mid-January, I would go with the bike team that I raced with, a uh, road bike team. We'd go down to Central Texas to Fredericksburg area. And if you're familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about. It's this, these hilly roads, and then back in the ranches, they have these one-lane roads that go for miles, just winding through. There's no traffic. It's just fabulously beautiful. Deer are all over the place, and so we go down there when it's cool and in the, at that time of year. Well, one of the guys that I've become friends with down there, he is a man's man, one of the guys that I would ride with. And so in one way, you know a man's man is the kind of car that they drive. No offense if you don't have a manly car. This guy had, and some of you guys have these trucks. This, he had this huge 4x4 F350 four-door uh, diesel jacked up, the whole thing. You know, it's just huge. And it, must, it could have been an F1000 as far as I'm concerned. It was so awesome, <laughs> you know. And so he said, hey, come with me. I'll, I'll drive and we'll go back. And he's not a believer. It was a great opportunity for me to interact with him. So... We're driving home from the, from the event, and we're just relaxing. And you th- I'm thinking we're going to talk about guy stuff, which for me is, you know, professional wrestling, uh, monster trucks, stuff like that, power tools. But instead, we're, we're still in the hills, and somehow or another, the subject of him having to put his beloved dog, which is like his child, to sleep comes up. So, and he's sharing with like, oh, this is, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get a little closer here. Uh, and, and when he, he starts to share and I'm listening and it's really touching me because I'm, re, I'm uh, empathizing with him. I remember having to put my dog that I had in college and all that to sleep and how horrible and hard that was. 
And so here we are, these two guys. I'm thinking it's going to be tough guy time. Instead, we're doing all we can to preserve the looking straight ahead and wiping our eyes without the other guy knowing. Look at that. You know, like guys like we do in the movies, you know. Um, it, it, so <laughs> it was really, it was pretty funny. Uh, in the end, we were, um, we were not looking at each other, but we were connecting on, on this topic that we felt deeply about. And it was, they were just dogs, but they were really a part of our family. We loved them and we, there, was, there was a connection between us because of that. And after about, you know, 30 minutes of talking about that, we set it aside and kind of got that done and we were on our way. Everything was good. But today, the direction that I want to go with us is looking, uh, like Tyler mentioned earlier, it's something that is very dear to the heart of God. And when we're connected to this topic with him, um, we are much more in sync with him. And this is where that core value of service comes in. We have, as one of ours, uh, one of the things that we stand for is service. And the thing I want to say to you today, and the thing that is the part of God, I think, around it, is that believers serve the poor. So that's the simple thing that I want to say to you that I want you to walk away convinced of if you're not already. Believers serve the poor. And I want to read to you from a passage. It's a little bit long, but it is an amazing passage. It's from Isaiah 58. So if you have your Bible, look there. We'll put it up here as well. This is a great place to spend some Bible study time to meditate on reading any part of this passage. It's going to start in, we're going to start in Isaiah 58, 2, and go down through 12. So listen with me and try to just absorb God's uh, strong words for his people. Let's see where that's. Yeah. Yet they seek me daily in delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. And they say, Why have we fasted and you see it not? And why have I humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, the day of your fast, of your worship, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Is the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then you shall your light. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and He will say, 
here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What an amazing passage. And in this, I want to, us to understand three things. And really, it's only the beginning of understanding on these. So in our consideration of the fact that believers serve the poor, three things. We need to understand something about ourselves. We need to understand something about justice. And we need to understand something about the motivation for this. Ourselves, justice, and motivation. So first, understanding about ourselves. We need to look back at these people that God was speaking to. And you saw this... uh, uh, you saw there was a tension, a conflict between them and God. He says, and, and it's kind of dramatic at the beginning in verse 2. He says, they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. They, typically, we would think someone who's seeking God daily and delighting in who he is, that's somebody who really is close to God, right? Isn't that, I mean, you read that and you think that. I think that. And then they say, what? you don't seem to be here with us, God. You, you, there's no blessing. What is happening? We've humbled ourselves and you don't seem to have any notice of it whatsoever. There's this tension. Here's the thing that they had and the thing that they were doing. They were doing religion, right? It was a good thing they were doing. They were delight. This is what it's been called for us to do is delight in the Lord, to know his ways, to worship him, to fast. But they were doing it as religion. And religion is this, we, to, to do things to earn the favor of God. That's religion. If I check these things off, then I will earn the favor of God. And y'all, we do it all the time. It's almost like superstition. If I do this and I did those things right and I prayed this morning, or I didn't pray and things went wrong. So the question for us as we, as we talk about this uh, relating to them is, are we religious people? Are we doing these things, but we're missing the heart of God? We've checked off church. We've checked off be good. We checked off don't lie. We checked off do the right thing. They had a, uh, a bigger problem b- besides just uh, living religion, and that is that they neglected the poor. And they weren't the first to neglect the poor, and they won't be the last to neglect the poor. How many of you grew up like me uh, with the understanding uh, that Sodom was destroyed for sexual um, sin. Anyone in here grow up with that? Totally. Uh, taught that my entire life. 
until a couple years ago, this passage leapt out to me. It's Ezekiel 16.49. Take a look at this with me. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. Now think about that for a second. We love, if, if you're a conservative Christian, we love to heap uh, condemnation and judgment on people who um, have a different way of life than us sometimes, uh, but using that story from Genesis is probably not your best ammunition in that situation because God says that it was that they had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did, did not aid the poor and needy. And when I read a passage like that, I have to ask myself, does that apply to me? Does that apply to us? Does it apply to you? Uh, now, before we go any further, I want to be sure that I say to you that this message that I'm delivering to you today and the message from God is not about guilt. This is not it. We all know about guilt. and We know about being motivated by guilt. That is not what this is about. What this is about is growth. If I come to you and say, hey, the scripture says you should tell the truth. You're like, okay, I get that. I can move that. But you don't feel guilty because I said that to you. The scripture says that we, as believers, will serve the poor. It's not something to feel guilty about. It's something to realize and to grow in. Okay? So let's try to scrape aside the guilt and think about growth in this space. Now, um, so we're, we're, we're understanding this, uh, trying to get it to a point where we're understanding ourselves just a little bit more. And something that happened uh, to me that helped me understand poverty a little bit better was becoming a 70-year-old grandmother. That sounds kind of odd, I know. But I went to something called a poverty simulation. Has anybody been to a poverty simulation before? Sound, I don't know how it sounds to you, but when my friend said, you need to go to this, I, I thought, that really sounds like not a lot of fun. Poverty simulation. Uh, so... They said, you, you have got to go, and it was a life-changing event for me. Because what they did, it was a, like a two-hour event where they brought in all kinds of people and leaders from all over the city. And we, there was about 200 of us, and we got in this big room. And when, when we went in the door, they handed you your identity and who your family was. You had to leave everything else behind. Anybody heard about this kind of thing before? So they hand me my identity, and I'm, I'm a 70-year-old grandmother. And I walk in and I go over to my table, which is my family. And there's some folks there at my table. And there's several other families. And then around the edges of the room are uh, businesses, places to work, the bus, um, all these different things. Uh, the doctor, the place where you can get medical attention for free from the government, et cetera, et cetera. They're all set up. So they're simulating what it's like to live a week in the life of, of someone who is in poverty. And so I, as the grandmother, I was the matriarch of this family. I was raising my grandchildren. And there was no one to help me. I had no resources. 
And they were all struggling, and one of them had a disease that required really expensive medicine and special care. Well, so every about 10 minutes is a day, and you have to decide what you're going to do in your 10 minutes to feed your family, to go to work, to go to the doctor, to get the medicine, to get to school, and all of that stuff, right? And here I am. It was impossible. In fact, the people at my, some of my grandkids went and stole from another table because I thought it would be good to help me because I didn't have any money. And I couldn't get away from my job because if I left my job for a day, somebody would take my job, right? Because there were so many people in line for that. So I, I couldn't leave it to go get the medicine for my kid. I didn't have anybody I could ask, etc. So it was this huge snowball. And what it taught me, it, at least one thing it taught me is that Myself or any of us are just a step away from that. A step, a, a major illness, a um, loss of both jobs, a relational breakup, all these kind of things that could lead to that. And we never know what could happen. And suddenly we're in that place of poverty. And what, what I saw then was that um, I have got to see myself as just like people that are in poverty. I cannot see myself as different. There's a book uh, that has been really important in, in forming uh, my thinking about this. Uh, it's called When Helping Hurts. And most of us as um, people with, with resources help people by giving them stuff, by doing to them. And what he, Brian Feichert, the author of that book, is saying is that we need to see ourselves as one with them. And we'll see this in this passage too. And it's, not, no, it's no longer them. It's us growing together. So there's this understanding, and I should say this too, I don't think that there is a, a problem in Crested Butte with us seeing ourselves as poor, as identifying, because we all have brokenness. We all have different kinds of poverty. We all have hurts and things that are like poverty and are poverty in different ways. We don't have a problem seeing and understanding that. The, the question is, will we actually serve the poor? So I don't think it's a I don't have to convince you to identify with them I don't need to convince myself of that. What we need to do is move into action to serve. So that's a little bit about ourselves. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand just, and we're just going to get a little taste of what justice is. And this is the way I, I would basically describe it. Justice is a healthy environment. And an example of a, a just environment would be like your body when everything is functioning great. So all these systems, all these amazingly intricate systems in our body are working perfectly together. We're not feeling pain. We're having fun. We're, our, do you see what I mean? You're healthy. There's whatever that encompasses for you. But then you might, say, fall on your tailbone on a snowboard one day. And it can change your life, right? You never knew that your tailbone could have such a huge impact on everything that you do. Or your toe really hurts. Or you have a, it could be a very small thing. But once one thing is broken, everything feels that. And I don't need to convince you that our world is broken. But if our world and the health of our world in terms of justice were a body, it would need to be resuscitated. Do you know what I mean? It is rotting because there is not health. And that's when we serve the poor, we are engaging in bringing health to the environment, to the economy, to the, to the people who are in those situations. So that's one big, broad idea of justice. When we, 
So when we serve the poor, we are bringing justice. And in, there's two parts of this passage where, he, where God kind of describes justice. And I want you all to see this, really important. One of this, one aspect of justice is bring freedom from oppression. In verse 6, Is this not the fast that I choose? Loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke. Now, who can do those things? Who can loose the bonds, break the straps, uh, free the oppressed, break the yoke? It's someone who is stronger and more capable with more resources than the person who is under that. There is someone who is weak, and there is someone who is strong. And as much as I know about the topic, I sometimes think, you know, well, who is really oppressed today? I mean, look at this. Who's really oppressed? You probably know that there are more slaves in the world today by far than there ever have been slaves, ever. By far. People who are coerced by fraud or coercion or... um, uh, There's one other way that they're put into slavery. I, I can't remember the exact word, but... Um, it's so many millions of people are oppressed in this state. There are people who are in that situation. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I didn't see this earlier, um, Darlene, but Darlene went to some of the things we did around human trafficking. And I, I actually hadn't seen the website that she brought up to me. It's called uh, uh, yoursla- and you can go to slaveryfootprint.org and you can put in information about yourself, the products that you use, and you can see how many people are actually under a slavery scenario creating the things that we take for granted in our world today. So we hear about it on the radio, we see it in the news and stuff like that, but we, sometimes we don't tie it to ourselves. We have the ability because we have resources to make a difference, to serve the poor in this area of justice, breaking bonds that are keeping people uh, uh, from being free. Another aspect of justice that I want you to see is in verse 7. And it has to do with meeting basic needs. So it's a little different. There's a nuance to it. In verse 7, is this not the fast that I want? To share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The, the subject I talked about a moment ago, justice that is breaking bonds and freeing people, is a, something that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's something that we commit to over a period of, of years even. But this is about ma- meeting basic needs in a relief context. When someone comes to you and they're starving, we feed them. When someone comes to us and they're, uh, they're homeless, when they have what... They do not have what we can offer. It says, bring them into your house. When they're naked, clothe them. These are basic human needs. They're things that we can meet immediately. And there's something about the, uh, the proximity of this. If you see, he says, I want you, to, I want you to actually be so close to these people that you bring them into your home. And the last thing he says in verse 7 there, he says, um, that uh, do not deny your own flesh. In other words, we are all poor. And we must see in, in the context of the scripture, it is, he's talking about family. We are all family together. And, and that's tricky where we live. 
because there, there isn't the same kind of, there isn't a lot of this kind of poverty, that, especially that second kind of poverty in our place right here. We actually have to really go out of our way to find that. And that's, uh, this is one of the more important things that I have learned from this passage. This is another aspect of justice, and that is that if we are going to seek justice, we need to decide whose side we're on. So think about this with me for a moment. There's a scholar, his name's Bruce Waltke, and if you ever spend time studying the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scripture, you will come across his name. He is a preeminent, classic scholar on, on Hebrew and on the Bible. And when he talks about, uh, when he distills, let me say it this way, when he distills the truth of this concept of justice, there are really two sides. There's the righteous person and there's the wicked person. And those two words, those two uh, concepts play into the way God talks about those people throughout the scripture. So what I'm talking about is something that this kind of a theology of a righteous and a wicked person that percolates up all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And check this out. Here's what he says. And just, I'm going to read it twice so you get it. Uh, A righteous person is one who disadvantages himself or herself for the community. On the other hand, a wicked person sees his or his resources as belonging just to them. Think about that. I'm going to read it one more time. So we typically think a righteous person is someone who pleases God and does all of these, you know, ticks the the dots for God. But Walkie summarizes it saying, the righteous person is one who disadvantages himself or herself for the community. The wicked person sees his or her resources as belonging to themselves. So to seek justice, to serve, in other words, to serve the poor, then we are seeking to bring the resources of those of us who have the ability to break the bonds of those who would take advantage of others. And that's a long-term and a hard process. But there's also the idea that's equally valid of meeting immediate needs. And that's bringing justice, that's serving the poor. So there's just, in, these, in this passage, just a little bit of information for us about what justice is and what it is that we're to pursue when we serve the poor. Okay, that's two things. So we know ourselves a little bit better, hopefully not feeling too guilty about who we are. Am I just making you bummed out? <laughs> I hope not. We're growing in this together. But we also need to understand a little bit about justice. And then there's this motivation. And thank you, Tyler, for reading that to us and putting it on the front of the bulletin there. There are a couple of reasons uh, for being involved in uh, serving the poor. And they're all through this last part of the passage. They're beautiful, personal promises from God. I'll just read a couple. Then share your light. This is in verse 8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. When you call, he will answer. When you cry, he will say, here I am. If you have have taken away the yoke from your midst, and you go down to 10, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, your light shall rise in the darkness. He will continually satisfy you. Those are beautifully written personal promises from God to us when we engage in serving the poor. It's beautiful. Who doesn't want that? 
especially if you're a believer. Who doesn't want that to, to, in your dry, he's not saying you're not going to have hard times, you're not going to be in scorched earth, but he is going to bring us up. He is going to care for us. He will take care of us. So there are beautiful personal promises. Also, there are promises for the blessing that will be to other people. In that he says, you'll be um, like a garden that you'll, you'll be one who restores walls. You'll be one who restores the roads. You'll, your generations will be blessed by you. In other words, not only will you be blessed, but other people will be blessed by who you are. So there's the blessing, this blessing to ourselves is a motivation. There's a blessing to others. But we need to remember this. Um, we need to be motivated by who Jesus is not by what we are going to get, okay? Because remember, the whole beginning of the passage was you did these things and you checked off the boxes, but all you were doing was religion. You were doing things to earn my favor. And that was the old law. But y'all, we are not under that. Christ became poor so that we could, be, could know him. So it's, it's not doing those things in order to earn his favor. It's not checking the boxes it is doing those things because of who he is. It's absolutely critical. So when we're thinking about serving the poor, we're not doing it because we feel guilty and we better do it because it's God's heart. It's a result of knowing him and being redeemed by him and being loved by him. Did you, there was a statement in the video that we saw about the generous giving. It said, you never meet an unhappy, generous person. That is so true. And I think when we're motivated by who, who Jesus is, it converts all of these things away from things that we have to do to things that we enjoy doing because of what he has done for us. Okay, so we've, we've looked at a little bit about ourselves and we've seen about a little bit about justice and we've seen a little bit about these reasons that would be motivated in order to actually serve the poor because believers serve the poor. And you probably have noticed, I didn't stand up here and give us a list of all the great things we could do to serve the poor. There's no how-to in this message. When I got out of the truck with my friend, we were back in Dallas and we... uh, we bailed out and leapt to the ground out of his giant truck. <laughs> we, we both knew that we had been in this kind of, we'd grown closer because we understood something about the passions and the heart of one another. And that's what this is about. That's what this passage is about. It's not, a, it's not giving solutions. It's just to say, this is the heart of God. And if we're believers then we will serve the poor. And it's up to us now to say, okay, God, where are you convicting me? Where are you moving me? Where are you asking me to grow, whether it's in small or large, however it is? But this is the time to go to God over the next week or year, however long it takes you and say, Lord, what do you need from me in terms of serving the poor? Because I'm a believer. And walking with you means I will have a heart for people in poverty. I'm gonna pray and send us out. God, you are good, but God, there is so much injustice in our world. 
And Lord, I know that every person in here, whether a believer or not, is, understands and sees that need and is, thinks, what in the world can we do? The problem is so big. But God, I ask that um, you would let us have the freedom to interact with you on this personally. And God, I pray we would see the, um, the joy of following you into a deeper place of serving people in poverty. As a church and as individuals, God, we would do that. And Lord, um, we do look forward to seeing that blessing. But God, first, we do understand that it is just because we know and love you because of what you've done for us that we're free. God, to, um, to serve the poor, and may, Lord, this body be someday known for that, of being not only a healthy body in this room, but healthy as we engage with this community, with Gunnison, with our county, with the state, with our world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The electric guitar? That's the channel that's not working? Sorry.
would you go out in the great grace and peace of our Lord as people who are passionate and care deeply about those who are under bondage, just as we are under bondage, but we are freed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, stick around. We've got the business meeting coming up in about 15 minutes right here. Have a great day, guys.